From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 328, and today's show is brought to you by Pingdom, Sanebox, and Hover. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Jason. Hi, Mike. Happy Cyber Monday. Oh, is it? Oh, man, I didn't get you anything for Cyber Monday. Oh. (laughs) Well... Oh, well, I'm getting, let me tell something. you, I'm just really tired of them commercializing Cyber Monday. I remember back when it wasn't this commercial. I got you something for Cyber Monday. What'd you get me? A hashtag Snell Talk question, and this week's comes from Matt. Matt wants to know, if you needed to download an app from a big company, you know, say Slack or a Microsoft app or something like that, by default, do you go to their website or do you go to the Mac App Store? I don't have a default um, because I. it depends on how I'm how I'm getting it. Like if you log into a website, like I'll give you an example. Like I think Dropbox isn't in the Mac app store, but the point is you, you log into their website and then they give you a download link. Well, then I'm just going to download it from the site. If they give me a download link as I've logged in or signed up for their service or whatever, I'm going to go that way. Mm. Uh, Sometimes there's a beta, like a Slack beta. There's a Slack beta for Apple Silicon. And so I'm downloading it from them. And a while ago, I had a Slack beta. And again, you go straight from them. In other cases, I will go right to the Mac App Store. It really it really varies. I'd say I'm, because I am have been doing this a long time, I'm more used to going to people's websites and downloading them. But I'm also happy to get that stuff in the Mac App Store. So there's no default. And I'd say there's no uh, one way I do it. I've got some stuff that's in Mac App Store and some stuff that's not. I think all the Microsoft I have stuff I have is downloaded from the Microsoft website using right. their installer. Right. Um, even though they're on the Mac App Store. So yeah. I don't have a default and I know this because I annoy myself that when I set up a new Mac, I go to download an app and it's telling me to buy it. And it's like, well I've already bought it. Right. And it's like, oh, because I bought it directly. So then I have to go find the email which has the key in it and all. it is a bit of an I, I it's a bit of a nightmare really trying to set up a new mac sometimes because you have to try and remember this exact thing right like where did i get this piece of software and then yeah. how on earth do i find the key for it it is easier to go through your purchase list in the mac app yep. store isn't it way easier and then i have this thing where there was a point in time when i started putting the uh, keys in one password um but mm-hmm. There's also a point of time where I didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, so. Having just set up the, the MacBook Air with, running on the M1, I had that moment where I was like, where is this registration key? And in the end, I mean, I go to my email app and I, I search mm-hmm. <laughs> for the license and it's there. It's always there. Because, and I could put it know, into one password, but I don't. Well, but this is that thing of like, I've already proven the fact that I'm inconsistent. So I obviously inconsistently save the keys yes. too, because you know what? Uh, I'm a human being. <laughs> so well, I, that's why I use Gmail is that the keys are just in my archive. So yeah. I just, <laughs> they're just always there. Yeah. So there you go. It's important to know. So anyway, that's the answer, Matt. Mike is human. This is one of those things where I wished there was, a, I wished that the Mac app store is what I wanted it to be, which was... Just a situation where every developer found it beneficial to be there and chose to have all of their software right. there. So no I just to had to there. go to one place because then I would get all the benefits, right? I wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff. I could just set it all up as new and it'd be nice and easy, but it isn't. And I don't, honestly, I don't begrudge anybody really. Like I don't begrudge Apple. I don't begrudge the developers. You know, th- these are just conflicting business models and I'm happy that 
everybody has the choices that they want to make. But as a consumer, I really just wished there was a way for me to not have to worry about all this frustration, you know? Yeah, I get it. Uh, the Mac App Store is not what any of us expected it to be because mm-hmm. Apple you know, decided that it was going to be treated... For good and bad, because, you know, I think there was a time when we were all worried that the Mac App Store was eventually going to be the only way you'd be able to get software. Right. But this is, you know, we know there are so many apps that just can't be in there at all, and Apple has done a lot of work to make it a better situation, but it's still not... uh, It's still not the answer that maybe we thought it would be. Mm -hmm. But you're right, that would be nice if... I'm not saying I want Apple to have complete control over all Mac software. I I think it's more that it would be nice if the Mac App Store was such a uh, an open, friendly, welcoming place that all Mac developers wanted to be in it. Exactly. That's not the case. Even though it's more welcoming than it was, it's never going to be the case. And so, it's going to be a little bit of this and a little bit of that. So, uh, it is it is weird. Matt does get at a good point here, which is it is a little bit weird where you can choose either one, and you're like, hmm. What does that mean? Like sometimes I'll go to a website, I'll hear about a new indie app, and I'll go to a website yep. and I'll and I'll click and, and they're like, get it in the Mac App Store. I'm like, okay, then D- decision made for me. Yes. Um, but sometimes you end up with the option to do either one. Like BB Edit is in the Mac App Store and yep. out, and I I don't have the Mac App Store version. Because sometimes I choose not version. to get the Mac App Store version because I'm like. Is there a feature or is there going to be a feature that's only going to be in the direct version because Apple won't Sometimes. allow it? Or, you know, mm-hmm. so then you like, you just have to, you, you're given this kind of thing. It's like, do I choose the easy path or do I right. choose like the path where I'm at least potentially going to get everything I might well, want to get in the future? Like, you make a decision now, which you have no way of knowing whether it's going to be the right decision for you in three or four years' time. And sometimes utilities are live. You know, through their updater, if they're using like Sparkle or something mm-hmm. outside of the Mac App Store, way before they get their update approved yep. on the Mac App Store. So if there's a new version and you've got the Mac App Store version, you kind of have to wait. Also, a lot of these utilities, uh, they use the Sparkle framework for updating, and they've and they've got an opt into the beta, and then you get more, you get uh, access to betas, which mm-hmm. of course there's still no test flight for Mac Unbelievable. OS. Unbelievable! Unbelievable! There's still no test flight for the Mac. So you know, anyway. <laughs> I have no clear answer, and yet we talked about this for a while. That's good podcasting. If you would like to send in a Snell Talk question to help us answer the sh- to open the show, just like Matt did, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk or use the command question mark Snell Talk in the Relay FM members Discord. I would like to thank everybody who has so far entered a vote for the 2020 Upgradies. This is our mm-hmm. annual awards show. You can go to upgradies.vote. And there'll be a link in the show notes for that, of course, as well. So you can enter your votes. We have had hundreds upon hundreds of entries so far, Jason. I can tell you. So far, we have had a... Let me see. I'm just going to my very, 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 very large spreadsheet here. Uh, Uh Over 350 entries so far uh, from our upgradians. So it's a good start. We need more. Oh, definitely. uh, We'll get more. More entries, more nominations. Seventh annual. By the way, my seventh annual. Seven annual. Uh, so you can go and, and make your nominations. You don't have to answer for every category, but uh, you can if you want to. Uh, but you can uh, answer as many as you like there. And they will be taken into account when we do the Upgradies towards the end of the year. So go to Upgradies.vote and you can cast your votes for this year's Upgradies. I wanted to have a little discussion with you, Jason, for Upstream 
today. Uh, it's not news. There's there's some little bits and bobs out there, but I wanted to uh, actually talk to you about something you sent me a while ago now. This was okay. a tweet from Rich Lightfield, who says Apple TV Plus has been meaningfully out has meaningfully outperformed Disney Plus in year one in terms on original programming, especially programming for anyone over the age of ten. Apple don't get enough credit for this, especially with no catalog or history in content production. So basically, Rich is saying. Apple has done a better job than, say, Disney Plus has with original programming in its first year. It is a hot take, and I love it. And that is how it is positioned in that original tweet. Yeah, and I love it. It is provocative. It is unfair, right? Like, saying Apple TV Plus has outperformed Disney Plus in terms of original programming in year one is a little bit, like, I don't know, saying that Michael Jordan was outplayed at baseball by pick a baseball player name. Like it's not the same game. They're not playing the same game. Mm-hmm. There's a basketball player. That's baseball. They're different. It's like that. Sorry. I could, I should use a soccer player. That would make more sense for you. But uh, Lionel Messi is out, is outplayed at football by this doesn't help me. Tom Brady. <laughs> I, I actually haven't seen the last dance. Uh, I understood the Michael Jordan Michael reference Jordan reference more. better. Okay, all right. Um, so it's not fair. Disney Plus is different. Disney Plus is a, a a strategy by Disney that includes Disney's whole catalog, all of their movies. It is targeted, like he says, under the age of ten. It is targeted at families, so it's got a lot of kid content from the from the Disney archive and some original programming. And while I share his sentiment, which is I find the Disney Plus launch of original content a little bit disappointing as an adult they had some kids programming that was there that people liked for me disney plus the first six months it existed was pretty much just the mandalorian in terms of things i've been interested in they did drop hamilton they've done some other stuff i liked the imagineering Imagineering series, and I just watched the Marvel six one six one, which was pretty good too. Not as good as the Imagineering one, no, but that one, yeah, good. that one felt more like DVD extras edited it together than the other one did. But yeah, there's there's good stuff, and the the behind the scenes on the Mandalorian's been good too. So uh, I think Disney Plus, it's interesting that their whole strategy just is is for original content, especially for a broad audience, is still ramping up. The fact that Disney Plus has been out for a year now and there's still no Marvel series. And some of that is COVID. There probably would have been a new Marvel series by now, but uh, I I'm still surprised that they didn't have a Marvel series ready to go two months after their star Wars series. And they didn't, Um, but it is a different game because Apple TV plus has no catalog as we've talked about here for years. It has no catalog. All they can do is original content. Their whole strategy is original content. I mean, Technically, they do have a catalog. There are a few things that they've bought. The, the, they've got the Peanuts catalog now. They've got those Ewan McGregor, uh, Charlie Borman, Microsoft, uh, what is it, My- motorcycle documentaries that preceded the one that's the Apple original. Like they have, they have a very few little old stuff, and it's usually tied to new content that they're working on. But they're an original content say, factory. Way, that's what I, they are. This this person's name was Rich Greenfield, not Rich Lightfield. He works for okay. a company called Lightshed, so I put them all together. So we'll maybe we'll call oh, okay. him Rich Lightshed Rich Greenfield. Greenfield. <laughs> I don't know. I apologize. Um, so so Apple is playing a different game than Disney. Uh, it is focused on original content. They can't make it with their the Apple's huge catalog of beloved children's animated movies. 
because they don't have any. <laughs> there isn't one. So, but what I like about this hot take is the fact that I have spent way more time watching Apple TV Plus than Disney Plus in mm-hmm. the last year. Mm-hmm. And that is undeniable. Way more time. And not and that, what we expected. No. I think. No. And, and it's part of, like, we talked about HBO Max becoming this sort of, they take the HBO brand, but they broadened it because they want it to be the Warner Media broad strategy. They want to end up being like Netflix. Um, and, and Apple TV Plus is kind of being like HBO was, which is, the, it's a smaller set of content but it's original content and and with high production values and we'll see how it goes for them but they they and i certainly haven't watched a lot of apple's output i have picked and chosen but i still watched way more and spent way more time even with the first and second seasons of the mandalorian and hamilton and some other stuff on their imagineering story the behind the scenes I've definitely spent more time on Apple TV Plus, and I find that surprising. Yeah, the, the shows that I have watched from Apple's content, I have loved way more than the stuff I've seen from Disney's. And I'll be honest, I still haven't seen The Mandalorian. It's next up for our show stuff. I haven't seen any of it. Um, but the I was kind of expecting, I think we all were maybe expecting more from Disney in year one, and understandably, they have been delayed, right? I think some of this stuff has been delayed. I'm still eagerly awaiting a lot of their Marvel TV shows. And, you know, and I, I'm sure that's going to be great. But, you know, I've, it's not like I haven't used Disney+. Plus. We watched all the Marvel movies, mo- pretty much every single Pixar movie. But the point here is that it's like the original content. I was maybe expecting more from Disney like like you were as well. Um, but all of the original content of Apple's that I have watched, I have loved. So that includes For All Mankind, The Morning Show, Mythic Quest, and Ted Lasso. That's the stuff that I've watched all of it of. And I've really loved all of those. I think they've done a great job and I eagerly await more of them. Um, but it's just been interesting to see a thing that I don't think any of us would have expected is that Apple has actually done a very good job and actually very good compared to some of their competitors as well, um, which I, I, it just didn't really seem like that was going to be the way that this ended up shaking out. Yeah, and and it's it's launch stuff too, right? Like the, this is all getting the machinery running, and then COVID has placed an extra roadblock in yeah. getting that machinery running. Yeah. So it's going to take a while for us the to, argument to see this. That people could very easily make and would be correct is that Disney didn't have to. Well, that's, that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. Like Apple the, the number no one value proposition of Disney plus is the Disney library. Yeah. It's not the originals. No. For me, the number one proposition is the originals. I'm less interested in the library. In fact, the, Disney library content that I am interested in, I bought all. Yeah, I already have right? most of it. Yeah. yeah. So going forward, that's not going to be the case. And that mm-hmm. actually will add value. Like there's a new Pixar movie debuting on Christmas and I'm not going to buy that. And if we want to go back and watch some of the Pixar movies that I haven't bought, there they are in 4K, HDR, mm-hmm. beautiful, Disney Plus. Great. That's fantastic. They're playing a different game. Uh, but as somebody who is primarily concerned with original programming, um, I, I think it's interesting, although not surprising, I suppose. Apple TV Plus, all they have is their originals. That's how they have to do everything. Disney yep. Plus hasn't had to do that yet. But I do I do think it changes the the 
value proposition, especially if you are not somebody with younger kids to look at Disney Plus because and that's why Disney Plus in the end does have to cultivate the Marvel audience and the Star Wars audience and and other audiences to make it a broad based service. But it's not surprising they started with their strength. It's not. All right, this episode is brought to you by our friends over at SaneBox. Email is such a huge time waster at work. So much of my time is taken up by email. I know that so much of your time is too. You know, like how how many hours of the day are you in your email inbox tending to the stuff that's coming in, dealing with the junk that you don't want to see? And also another thing is like just emails that never need your answering at all. If they ever need a reply, they just not unnecessary email. This is the thing that we're all seeing. Time wasting email is a huge time waster. Imagine if you could get rid of that with just some press of a magic button that's all gone. You can't delete all of your email. Wouldn't it be great if you could just press that magic button? It's exactly what SaneBox does. With just a few clicks, SaneBox will automatically get your email under control for you, filtering out all of the messages that don't need your focus, don't need your time or attention. You don't have to switch email apps. You don't have to go to a new service because it works in whichever email client you already use. And it also has some nifty features. Like, for example, they have something called the same black hole. If you have someone that it just seems like you can't stop them emailing you no matter what you do, if you just drag their email message to the same black hole folder, you will never hear from them ever Again, which is a very powerful tool. I find myself on these email newsletters every now and then, and it seems like I can't unsubscribe from them, and I don't know why. Even if I press the unsubscribe button, I just drag them to the same black hole. Gone. Forever. One of my other favorite features is the same news filter. So... It looks at the emails coming in and it moves the stuff away that's a newsletter into a folder called Sane News. And then whenever I want to go and read my email newsletters, I just open up that folder and they're all there, which is great because they're not filling up my email inbox. They're not taking away my attention, but I'm also getting the value out of the email newsletters that I choose to subscribe to or pay to subscribe to at the time that I want to get to them. So that's like a great weekend activity to me. Go into the Sane News folder, see what's there, read what I want. Lovely. See how SaneBox can magically remove distractions from your inbox with a free two-week trial. Go to SaneBox.com slash UpgradeFM today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash UpgradeFM. Our thanks to SaneBox for their support of this show and Relay FM. Jason, a couple of days ago, you mentioned to me in a Slack message that you'd switched your SIM over to the iPhone 12 mini. Can, yes. can I ask you what prompted that decision and how are you feeling about it? Well, I haven't written my review of the big and little phone because it happened so late. That Are you going to write yeah. something? You are still. I, okay, cool. I, I, I mean, they sent them to me. I, I, I feel like I do need to, but I'm just trying to take a totally different approach because everybody's, you know... I, the moment is passed for like those immediate reviews, so it needs to be something about using it in the long run. And I, I've been, I had been using the twelve mini like around the house on Wi-Fi and stuff, and I thought this is silly. I need to commit and put the SIM card in and and move my Apple Watch over to it and just have it be uh, my primary phone. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And so I've, I've, I did that uh, maybe a week ago. You've done a lot of phone moving this year, right? Oh, I I hit just as an aside. I hit um, the device limit 
for Apple devices. And you may be thinking it's the five max limit for Apple Music. It's not. It's the 10 Apple devices active limit for Apple Music. And I was trying to play Apple Music while writing on my new MacBook Air. And it said, I'm sorry, you can't. You have reached the, you have the most Apple devices on your account. And I went <laughs> to the page where they let you turn off Apple devices and say, no, this is not on my account anymore. And nine of the 10 couldn't be removed because they were added to recently. Um, only the last Intel iMac, which I reviewed back in August, was eligible to be removed because there's like a 90 day window. Oh. Huh. And so I, I basically hit and am now back at that limit having attached my um, my MacBook Air to it. I have hit that limit the other limit, the 10 active Apple devices streaming on Apple Music on one Apple ID. And this happens to me from time to time where I get worried that somebody, uh, maybe it's a bank for Apple Pay, or maybe it's Apple itself is going to say, this account is suspicious. It has way too many devices coming on and off of it. We're just going to turn it off or lock it or <laughs> reject it or whatever. Mm-hmm. hasn't happened yet, but the, the closest I've come recently is the Apple Music 10 devices thing, because it's been... I've been moving through a lot of devices, right? I had that iMac and the iPad Air and uh, four models of iPhone. And what I pr- should probably do is is a dummy, um, a dummy account, maybe even a fake family member or something. But like, I don't want to, you know, you need to use it with your real stuff, I think. And if you're going to use and review something. So anyway, so many devices. The only thing like this I ever have any issues with is the app-specific password thing for iCloud accounts. Like oh, for, yeah. like calendars and stuff. Yeah, I don't do that anymore. That's the only thing I ever have any problems with, with that kind of stuff. But that's funny. So yeah. there's a 90-day window for being able to remove them? Yeah, because the idea there is that... Um, they don't want you cycling devices uh, through Apple IDs. And so a device can only be attached to another Apple ID 90 days after it's been detached from, or 90 days after it was attached to the previous Apple ID, I guess is how it works. Mm. And so you end up in this, in this mode where if you cycle a lot of devices onto your iCloud account, you will end up hitting, or your Apple ID, you'll hit, hit the limit. And, and right. I've been so busy with new Apple devices yeah. this fall that it turns out apparently I've connected 10 of them. Well, not 10, including my iMac, right? So nine of them to hmm. this, uh, to this account. So yeah, it's, uh, it's been... I had I had a lot of products, including all those phones. So yeah, there's been a lot going on. It's um, it's funny because I was just thinking like, oh, it's been a weird year for device releases, you know. But this is probably just every year now. It may be with the it amount. May be. I mean, it it was yeah. So I ended up with an iMac, an iPad, four phones, um, three Macs. Three M1 Max. Yeah, that's nine. There, there, and then, and then the tenth was, I think, my computer. This may be possible. So there you that go. In future years, you <laughs> wouldn't 
have to have not have to have but you know what i mean all four phones like if they do come out all at the same time which is what i what they will ideally I w- do i want all four and in the you past i've four. always gotten every model oh my so God. that will pro- that, you know hopefully that will continue i think okay. the having three Macs land on one day is unlikely yeah that, okay yeah yeah that yeah. that doesn't happen that often i mean the last time anything like that i think happened was when in 2018 when they did the macbook air and the mac mini update and so there were two new macs landing on that day but you know these are these are minor problems. It's just funny because I have the I'm just using a regular. It's just my Apple ID that I've always had. Like I'm not using some magic special Apple ID, and uh, and then when you use it in a way that's not expected, weird things can happen. Full credit to only one of my banks got fed up with all of the Apple Pays and said you need to call. <laughs> and, okay, all right, fair. It's fair. So going back to the iPhone 12 Mini itself. Mm-hmm. have you had any kind of new revelations with using it kind of more as your phone rather than just a curiosity well so our friend quinn snazzy q mm-hmm. uh friend of the show friend of the the network podcaster on the network uh he started using a mini 12 mini hey, and tweeted it. today i saw his tweet that said uh just picked up the iphone 12 regular and it's hilariously large (laughs) and i want to co-sign that you spend a little time with that iphone 12 mini and then you pick up a regular iphone 12 and you think oh no no it can't be it this is ridiculous is this the max no this is the regular that's how i feel about it i i I am loving the mini um Hmm. it feels so natural to use it i don't feel like i'm missing anything at all the screen i don't ever have a moment where i'm like oh this screen is so small the only quirk that i've noticed that made me really laugh is sometimes in my pocket the iphone 12 mini can turn entirely sideways (laughs) (laughs) i'm like no no phone i don't want you that direction but it can fit in my pocket sideways I mean, I could get my phone in my pocket sideways, but I can't mm. move my leg after that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and it's because you wear clown pants. That's why. <laughs> it's just mostly um, sweatpants at the moment. But. Oh, okay. That's well. <laughs> it's 2020. <laughs> I, I, I get it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I had a moment where I was walking uh, and wearing just wearing jeans, and it turned <laughs> sideways in my pocket. I thought, oh boy, this is ridiculous. But yeah, I love it, and uh, the screen size works great for me. And it's really fun to take it around, like, mostly it's just around the house, but I'm like, I'll just uh, look at my phone here, and it's this teeny tiny uh, thing, and it's great. So uh, my my short review for this podcast is, uh, it is everything of the iPhone 12, which I already liked, uh, but uh, less is more. I look forward to actually being able to hold and use one at some point in the future. I've never seen one. Never seen one. Which is such a strange oh. thing. It's like there's this iPhone out there, but I, I don't I haven't seen it. I, I don't know anybody that's got one and come on over to my house. Check it out. I'll just pop I'll just pop it's easy. Once easy. The, once the lockdown eases, you can pop into the Apple store and just caress their all their phones. Yeah. They're going to have to wipe you down first. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I, I still don't want to go to the Apple no. store inside. No. They yeah. need like an open air Apple store. That's what they need next. Mm-hmm. Open air Apple store. I'm sure that will go really On well. On the roof of Covent Garden. <laughs> 
You know what else I also want to talk to you about today? I saw you, you mm. again, we were talking about this and then you wrote a little post about it, which I think was good because you've been holding the torch for um, questioning some of the security decisions that Apple's been making on macOS over the last couple of years. You know, like you were yeah. very strong and have been strong about some of the changes in Catalina. And I'm, you are, I don't think you're being... I don't think you're like trying to like burn them at the stake kind of thing, but yeah. kind of pointing out that like, okay, this is how the situation is. Do we need it to be this way? Right. Um, and you wrote a post about some of the security changes with security on the M1 Max, which is even more strict than it is on Big Sur alone. Can you talk to me about what this is? Sure. And, you know, my concern about this is not that I want Macs to be less secure and I want Mac users to be insecure, because I don't. My concern, as I expressed with Catalina last summer, summer of 2019, is that sometimes I feel like Apple security team decisions carry maybe more weight than the user experience ramifications of those decisions. And it is a balance, right? Mm -hmm. we, we have learned, I think, in terms of computer security, that there are often cases where uh, adding more security makes for a worse product or it makes things less secure because human beings will then do things to evade security. And uh, I feel like Apple has a reputation Apple has this focus on its users and on their experience using their devices, and that sometimes the security needs that Apple feels override. And I don't know what's going on on the inside, but it sure feels like sometimes if there's an argument between security and user experience, that security just wins. And I, again, I want security, but I feel like there's got to be a little more of a focus on making sure that the security comes without eroding ease of use of software and the whole experience of people using a Mac. And uh, obviously with Catalina, there are lots of on launch, you get all sorts of alerts or you download software and you get all sorts of alerts. And sometimes you have to go to, uh, you, you open an app and it says, well, now you need to open the system preferences app and go to this very particular pane and then put in your password by clicking the lock screen or the little lock icon and then go over and find the app and then check the box. And then it'll say, you need to quit and relaunch this app in order for it to work right. And in Catalina, there was a button that said- Or it says like, this app is a bad app and you yeah, shouldn't Yeah, that's right. This app is un un could be malware. Yeah. And in Catalina, it would- say you need to quit and relaunch here's a button to quit it <laughs> not relaunch it in big Sur, actually well quit it and relaunch it which is nice it's like yeah you're a computer you know how to do that you should just do that so audio hijack which is a fantastic piece of software that anybody who records audio on the mac probably already uses or should use uh, from rogue amoeba it, they had to do a lot of work this summer for Big Sur. There were a bunch of security changes in, in macOS Big Sur that made it very hard for their uh, their audio capture engine, Ace, that is at the core of most of the Rogue Amoeba apps, to work with Big Sur. And they had to they had to work with Apple, is my understanding, to get it to work. And it works. They, they released a Big Sur version uh, right about the time the Big Sur came out. So that's great. Great story. Um, and on, on Intel Macs, you have to uh, install the system extension using this system extension path. It's not a kernel extension for those who are super nerdy. It's not. It's actually just a uh, an Apple-approved method of extending the system that I think Apple specifically 
advised rogue amoeba to use in this situation but if you do it you have to approve that in the system preferences and then it says i need to reboot your mac this system extension thing is the path for stuff like kernel extensions in the future though right like they're getting rid of the old system and yeah they have a new they have a new system that is more separated and approved by Apple and you have to get things signed and approved and all of these things. And then uh, there's this whole security pathway you go into. But just to be clear, unlike some hardware things that might be, they're replacing kernel extensions with these signed extensions, but that's that's what this is. This is not a kernel extension. Um, it's, a, it's just a, a, a signed system extension from Rogue Amoeba. You still have to reboot on an Intel Mac. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On an M1 Mac, you have to reboot multiple times. On an M1 Mac, it says, hey, you want to install this thing. Uh, you go through all this process and it says, wait, you can't install this thing because your Mac is at highest security and you need to lower the security of your Mac in order to allow this thing to run at all. So click here and reboot and hold down the power button so you get to the new startup options screen and you have to go in and Rogue Amoeba has a hilariously detailed... It's great, but it's great, the hilarity but it's is annoying. that they have to do this. A hilariously detailed explanation of how you get to the right screen mm-hmm. so that you can check the box that says, lower my security, which is like... like uh, it's uh, it's scare, scare words. Um, there is no lowest security setting on M1 Max. There's only sort of like high and and Full and security than, and reduced security. Reduced security, that's the name of it. And then you have to check a box that says allow uh, kernel extensions, which it's not, but you still have to check that box that says allow kernel extensions. Yeah. And then you reboot. Um, again, so I guess, you know, technically you could say that it's it's uh, it's three reboots. So anyway, you have to reboot again to get back there. The thing that frustrates me about this is if someone can and will make a very detailed support document outlining how you do this, what's the point in having it? Well, I think... I mean, you're right. This is always the argument about the security stuff is if a user can override it. This is how malware spreads now. Like Apple's got the whole gatekeeper thing and all that, but mm-hmm. you can still say, well, for this, for our app, you need to, you can't just open it. You have to hold down the control key and click on it and then choose open. And they step you through the ways to subvert the security system. Like that already happens. Um, that That's already a thing that, that happens. So that, I, you know, I think this has to be signed and all of that. So there's like extra Apple security and scrutiny that goes on these things. But um, it's a good question. I haven't gotten, by the way, we're, we're not out of the reboot loop yet because once you set the, the, the reduced security and boot back into Mac OS and you do your technically second reboot, it's, not, it's only two reboots out of the user, uh, but there's three reboots. Um, three, you get to hear the chime three times. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go back and now you're back where you were before, which is at the system preferences dialogue uh, where it says do you want to install this thing, put in your password? <laughs> and of course, so basically what, what you've done is you've lowered it to the level of security that's on an Intel Mac. Remember, Intel Macs still had to reboot to install it. And indeed, M1 Macs will need to reboot to install it. So you will do another reboot. You will hear that chime another time. And then it works. 
and it's great that it works and it's a great piece of software and it is not rogue amoeba's fault <laughs> that they are in this situation and this is my where i think I, I am trying to be very understanding about the, the hard job that Apple security people have with macOS because macOS was built at a very different time and security needs were very different then. And so we have these operating systems, these older operating systems that are not locked down like iOS is. And they're trying to bring in concepts from iOS and lock down a thing that was never designed to be that way. And it's hard. I like, I, I totally get that it's a hard job and they're trying to protect users it, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. from bad actors. And there are bad actors out there. I get it. I do though, have those moments where I think surely somebody has to look at this step of instructions, this set of instructions, which is like the worst kind of installation process that you would have to install a third party scanner scuzzy scanner in the 1990s like it is it is a blast from the past in a bad way and say what can we do to make this not take two or three depending on who you ask reboots to get the desired effect what can we do yeah. And be clever about it because you can make the argument is like, look, this is the system. You know, it's those it's those typical Apple arguments where it's like Apple can do anything at once, but um, not this. This is too hard for Apple. It's like, I don't believe it's too hard for Apple. I think Apple should scrutinize a decision like this and say, what could we do? Could we could we allow the user to authorize the installation of the kernel extension or in this case, system extension in advance so that on the next reboot, if we were in reduced security mode, it would be installed and then kick off a reboot. Is there a way for us to set that on the reboot? We're going to go uh, after you authenticate straight to that screen <laughs> and allow you to click the button and check the box rather than have to check your instruction sheet in order to figure out how to navigate to it and get there. Maybe that's something we could do. And maybe they will get there. I mean, this is the first generation of M1 Max. This is some new stuff that's in Big Sur. Rogue Amoeba may be the first piece of software that has really tested this approach because they're longtime Mac developers. They actually really care about their users and they care about the Mac and they they uh, t- made the effort over this summer to figure all this stuff out, which is good for them. So maybe they are causing Apple to think about these things and we will see Apple move positively in this direction. But I just wanted to call it out because first off, it's great that it works because I get the sense from looking at what's going on here that they had to do a huge amount of work to get their software to run on Big Sur at all and on Apple Silicon especially. But also to say, this is one of those examples where Apple has leaned forward with its security and it's caused a, a huge step backward in the user experience. And I don't think Apple, like the soul of the Mac <laughs> is prioritizing good user experience. And there are these moments where I look at stuff and I think the security people put this in and either user experience was overridden or not given a chance to participate in the process. And you end up with something that is secure, but terrible. And secure but terrible is not, uh, I mean, it's not much of a, a slogan in general, but it's something that Apple needs to not be about, right? Apple wants to be about security and privacy, but not at the expense of user experience. This episode is brought to you by Pingdom from SolarWinds. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website had gone down? Would you know if your customers couldn't click the Buy Now button on your website or access your latest blog post? You could stumble across this problem by luck. 
but that's no good. You want a system in place to tell you when everything's running smoothly on your website and more importantly when it isn't, and that's why you need Pingdom. Pingdom detect more than 400,000 outages online every single day. That's 13 million a month. They help keep the sites that you love online and they can help keep yours online too. It doesn't matter how big your company is, doesn't matter how much traffic you get. You could be a startup or a Fortune 500 company. It doesn't matter because when you have people that you want to come to your website, if they can't get to it, that's a problem. And with Pingdom, you can customize how you're alerted depending on the severity of an outage and who is alerted so the right person can be there to get it fixed. They'll also track and analyze your website's load time for you so you can see what's affecting your users' experiences. If you have a site of any size, you need Pingdom. They have a no-fuss approach to get started. All they need is the URL that you want to monitor, and they'll take care of everything else. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM right now for a 14-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code UPGRADE at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. That's pingdom.com slash RelayFM for a 14-day free trial and the code UPGRADE for 30% off your first invoice. Our thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of this show and RelayFM. So uh, there's been a slew of new rumors from Ming-Chi Kuo, friend of the show, because yes, it is time to talk about more upcoming products because there are products still upcoming, very upcoming, in fact. Like we may have had an incredibly busy last couple of months, but we're very aware of the fact that Apple is at a point right now where there are many of their product lines that are seemingly in need of or expected to be updated than I think we would typically see, right? We know yeah. all the Macs are going to be updated um, and we're expecting some in some significant ways. Um, obviously, we know the things that we know are updated on an annual basis, the phones, the watches, whatever, but also because of the introduction of the very pro-seeming iPad Air, we are expecting a significant update to the iPad Pro as well. Um, so there is a selection of uh, rumors and reports from Ming-Chi Kuo, who is, I think, you know, I would say one of, if not the most reliable uh, supply chain uh, reporter. I think so. I think uh, so. Which is why, you know, there there are two people whose reports we will always give time to on this show. One is Kuo's, the other is Gummins. Like, the, the tra their track records are very, very good. Um, yep. uh, uh, for for Minchi Quo, at least for especially getting things within a certain area, right? Like detail can sometimes be a bit shaky, but you can, you know, he, he usually has a pretty good idea of things in general. So one of the rumors, uh, I think this is maybe one of the more unexpected of the three categories we're going to talk about today, is a rumored new form factor for Apple Watch. So one of the quotes from uh, Minchi Kuo's report, which is coming to us via 9to5Mac and Mac Rumors report on this from today, says innovative health management functions and improved form factor design. So part one of that is a given, right? Innovative, innovative health management functions. There's always going to be new health stuff of course. Uh, for the Apple Watch. Um, I don't know what new sensors will be next up, but there's always going to be something. But improved form factor design is different to me. It is, it's an interesting thought. We didn't really get much of that from 4 to 5, but the 3 to 4 was a big change. 
uh, where they kind of made the screen more edge to edge like they they changed the sizes the actual physical right. sizes of the watches as well um in your mind what could a new form factor for the apple watch <laughs> series 7 look like I- I think you mean improved form factor, right? Which is not the same. First off, by the mm. way, I just want to say form factor. I hate it. It's, it's a, a weird phrase, it's right? I, Shape. After, I wrote it a Design. bunch today and was like, I don't think I like this phrase. I don't like the word at all. If, if yeah. you if you listen to um, uh, or read any of my 20 Max or 2020 things, you will you will note the lack of form factor. Form factor. I'm not interested in that phrase. It's dumb. Uh a new design for the Apple Watch. Well, he says improved design for the Apple Watch, doesn't he? What does that mean? Mm. My guess is it will be the same round rect because that's like what the Apple Watch looks like now, but it will be thinner. Um, you know, maybe there'll be other changes to it. You've got you put in our notes. Maybe uh, it joins the flat sides revolution. I don't know. That would be well, interesting. I but at my I, Apple I, Watch today. As I was look, thinking about this, and I was like, yes, thinner. I always want thinner. I'm always asking for thinner. The Apple Watch yeah. is too thick. It has always been too thick. I agree. It's still too thick. But when I looked yep. at it, I was like, I see a lot of the case. I don't have to see so much of it. You, They could bring it in. I don't know if it would go flat sides, but could, and I think should, have a, a flatter side aesthetic. Um, and I think you could maybe go halfway, you know, like still see a little bit of the case, but instead of having the rounded edges, maybe flatten those off a little bit on, the, on the sides. I think that would be my guess, is that Apple Watch uh, with an improved design would be uh, like that. It would be recognizably Apple Watch, but a little bit different. And I think thinner, I, I'm with you. I think the number one thing they should do with the Apple Watch design is just keep pushing it as thin as you possibly can because it is still too thick. I've gotten used to it, but, you know, if I look at it, I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a big, thick watch. It should be thinner. Try to make it thinner. That's Steve Jobs is standing over you saying, thinner, always thinner, yeah. right? Like, that's the that's the law, and it should be. It, it It's got a lot of... And I know it's hard, right? But like that's what they should they should be focusing on, I think, more than anything, is that. Especially like it, the thickness of it is accentuated by the fact that it sits off of your wrist because of the sensors. You know, depending on how tight you right. have the watch. I don't have my watch so tight that I'm left of an indent. I know some people wear their watches that way. Um, you know, I, I wear of a little looseness because that's what I like. Um, but, you know, so it's already sitting off of my wrist and then the watch begins. So it, it's too thick. Now, yeah. I understand what you're saying about the watch design being this rounded rectangle. Uh, I want I want a round Apple Watch. I've always wanted a round Apple Watch. I really want one um, because I don't like rectangular watches. I like round watches. And I, I would very much like to see what Apple could do with a design like that because I I really want to see one. Um, I don't think that there's any reason why they wouldn't try it in the future. I don't think it's going to be now. But, you know, designs are there to be changed and I could imagine a reimagining of the Apple Watch yeah. in a round form factor in the future. It's still something I want. I don't think I'm going to get it anytime soon. But I would really love to see it. I would love to see it too. I also don't think it's going to happen because I do think that the Apple Watch shape has become um, part of the brand of the Apple Watch, right? I think that the Apple Watch, everybody knows what an Apple Watch looks like. I was watching a 
a documentary the other day and there's a person with an Apple Watch. I'm like, oh, Apple Watch, there it is, right? Like you can just, at a glance, you know it's an Apple Watch. That's pretty good branding and marketing, right? That shape, people know what it is. It's an Apple Watch. And so that makes it harder to change. But I agree, traditionally watches are round and I would like to see Apple's take on a round watch, but I don't think they're probably going to do it anytime soon. If they did, that would be fun. But I think uh, I think probably not. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I also don't agree with it. Like the idea of like the Apple Watch is recognized as being this because it's what it is. If they changed it, yes. it would just ultimately be recognized as the new thing that it is after a period of time. It's like the iPhone now looks really different to the iPhone how it used to look. You just get used to it. Yeah, and yet, and yet Apple has kind of carefully evolved it. I would say going from a round rect to a circle is a big change and they're still rapidly growing the Apple watch. Um, and so I would be hesitant and I think Apple would be hesitant to move away from the, the value they get in that defining shape. In fact, what I would say is if they do a round watch, I suspect that what they'll do is they'll bifurcate the product line and there'll be two watches. There'll be a round watch and there'll be the round record. Yeah, I could imagine watch, that. Right. It's Apple watch classic or whatever. <laughs> like I, I think that they would probably do it like that because there is value um, I get what you're saying, but uh, I think there's value in in that shape, and that they still want to have that. But yeah. you're right. I mean, it's also it's Apple. A- Apple, if they want to, they'll just drop it, right? Like yep. they they've done that before. If they want to do it, they'll if just choose to do it. Is anything 20 Max for 2020 has taught me so far, Jason? Is they'll do a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, it's true. You know, Especially true. When Tim Cook, maybe new. less so, but yeah, but you're right. That's true. You're right. If they if they decide that round is the right way to do it and they just up to now they have not been able to do round in a way that pleased them and that they finally have gotten it that way, could Apple come up with a brand new Apple Watch this uh or in fall of 2021 and say, you know, here it is, we're breaking compatibility, your bands don't work, everything's round, you know, the new the new version of Watch OS, good luck developers. Mm-hmm. Like they could they could do that. It would be interesting to see what the developer story would be because it would actually be pretty dramatically painful for watch app developers to uh, deal with that. Although there are complications within the, the circular watch faces. So that would probably be what they did to start. And then there, maybe there's like a compatibility mode where apps that are not round play in a little square inside. They could do it. It's just, it, it's going to cause pain. When they went from three to four, they yeah. broke the complications, right? And it, it's it, and they'll do it if they want to, right? That's the yeah. lesson that Apple has taught us. Yes. Is if they want to do it, they're just going to do it. They're not going to, like watch band compatibility, developers being unhappy. Like if they think that the round watch is the right thing to do, they'll just do it. And mm-hmm. everybody else will be like, all right, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah, to like to double down on that point that you just made, right? Uh, I'm not saying that they will do it, but the idea of it will be difficult for developers is not a thing, right? That that will make Apple choose to not do something. Like that's not the thing. If they don't do it, there's a million other reasons. I um I don't think that like oh the fact that developers will have to work hard. Like they've changed products so many times. You know, like even looking at the iPad Pro when they went to the newer screen sizes. Like, we've well, got to update your app. Because they just don't fit anymore. Because now you have these black bars on the top and bottom. So, like, they will they will make these changes they want to. I don't think they're going to do a round watch, but I want a round watch. But they, they should it. continue to... The Apple Watch is still a young enough product that it should be getting refinements. Especially yes. something I'm putting on my body needs more refinements. Mm. Like, 
then I personally, then I think they're giving it. Um, you know, we're on to the sixth Apple Watch and it's only looked different three times. That's, you know, I personally, I think that they should be pushing that further than they, right. than they have done so far. So we also have, uh, you know, kind of what we're thinking of as the more pro iPad Pro is what we're expecting, right? Like <laughs> we are expecting the next iPad Pro to, to take a leap because that's the way that it makes sense to us at the moment considering the iPad Air. So uh, Ming-Chi Kuo is, is reporting that we should see a new iPad Pro in the first half of 2021. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of a little bit unclear exactly when. Uh, we'll obviously see 5G get added to the iPad Pro line. That is an inevitability. Um, and one of the bigger features that is being rumored is mini LED display technology. This would be the first of many products that Apple is looking to move to this technology. Um, apparently, Apple, have, uh, they, they seem pretty invested in it at this point. Um, it is expected that it will also come to some Macs. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, in a nutshell, Mini LED offers many of the benefits of OLED with the ability to have higher peak brightness because it's backlit where OLED isn't. And it also has greater control over local dimming. So because of all of this, you can get better color reproduction, higher contrast than what you have on, say, a Mac or an iPad Pro right now. But because there is a backlight, it cannot reproduce uh, darks, blacks, as well as OLED uh, can. Right. So gets you lots of the benefits of OLED, but not all of them. Right. In because it's still OLED, the individual pixels are themselves emitting light. Yep. Um, any backlight, there's a light behind the screen that is that is blasting out light. And even if they're the teeniest, tiniest ones, it's still a black backlight and there's still light leakage and stuff mm -hmm. like that. But it's it should be a huge um, upgrade in terms of, of display quality going to, to this LED technology. Um, it's just not the same as OLED. But OLED panels are expensive and there's, you know, that, that's part of Apple's challenges. It's uh, OLED panels are expensive even in a phone and then you look at a big iPad screen it's like that would be that's or an iMac money. screen like it's, it's well just yeah. Too much. yeah yeah you're that's you know it's a TV screen at that point so these are the things that are being quoted but I wanted to talk uh, about what else we would want to see in a future iPad Pro because you now these things are interesting but it doesn't feel like the entire story I would want Mate. You know, the factor that I'm most concerned about is form, Mike. What about the form? <laughs> so what do you have any thoughts in mind for the formacular factor of the iPad no, Pro? No, I don't want to factor that form at all. I like okay. it the way it is. In fact, yeah. it's the standard bearer, right? It it was the one that said, uh, hey, look at me. I'm awesome. You iPhones should look like me now. Yeah. <laughs> and the iPhone said, you got it, boss. So the iPad Pro is in charge is what I'm saying. The only thing I would want they wouldn't be able to do this, I don't think. But the only thing I would want is for the iPad Pro to get lighter. Um, purely because with the Magic Keyboard, with trackpad, it's just overall a heavier package than I would want. And I can't imagine them being able to make the Magic Keyboard any lighter and it still work properly. So I right. would want them to somehow magically make the iPad Pro a bit lighter. Um, but I don't know how they would do that. I don't a think they can make it any reservoir thinner. In there. Yeah, just fill it with helium. That's how you do mm -hmm. it. Easy, easy peasy. Um, yeah, here's the thing. People get asked this a bunch. Uh, seeing this question a lot these days, what is the future of the iPad? Which chip is inside? Um, the 
My guess is that it's going to be something very much like the M1, except they will probably call it the A14X. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be surprised if it's not literally the M1, uh, maybe a binned version of the M1. <laughs> mm. Like, I just, I feel like, because the M1, although it adds a bunch of stuff that the Mac needs, I mean, if you look at the number of cores and all that, like, and and if you dig into some of the details, it's a very clearly an evolution of the A12X. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a marketing decision. I, my guess is that it will essentially be an M1. Maybe but, just um, the 8 gigabyte of RAM version or whatever. Well, or, or the, or again, fixed, this is an alternate package that's RAM got six, right? Version, like, I should say. But it will be, it'll be like, you know, it'll be on a package with less RAM because mm-hmm. the iPad needs less RAM. But and yeah, you don't I choose. think it's it will one. essentially be the M1 more or less. And uh, that'll be what it is because the M1 is an evolution of the A12X. So why would it not essentially be the A14X? And why make two, why make two different chip designs? I mean, there are, there are savings potentially, but like I could see the savings being... Um, greater to just have two chip designs and especially if you can kind of like use binning to take the the ones that have uh, something a little bit wrong with them and those become iPad chips instead of Mac chips I don't know we'll see uh, so much for the being the boss of all the products if it's getting the secondhand chips but anyway that's my guess is that they'll call the A14X but people will look at it chip experts will look at it and they'll say mm, yeah, it's really the M1 yeah but, this one um, will be pretty easy to guess if the numbers are the same you know like how many uh Transistors doesn't have, which I might talk about, like how many machine learning cores or whatever does it have, right? Like we'll be able to see how much of the right. specs match up. Yeah, exactly. And I just don't, again, I am not a chip designer. I don't know whether it would be cheaper to make a cheaper version of the M1 that's more focused on the iPad uh, or just use the M1. My general feeling, my gut feeling overview kind of thing would be surely it's easier to just use an existing design uh, that you're making for all of these laptops and Mac minis rather than do a bespoke chip that is very similar, but for the iPad Pro. Um, And if we do believe that the M1 is kind of just a marketing choice by Apple for what is really an evolution of the A12X, then why not sort of take it and put it back in the iPad Pro? So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll find out, but my guess is they'll call it A14X because they don't want to confuse people about why is there a Mac chip in the iPad Pro. Um, they could, like Apple can do what they want, but that, you know, it might be a more confusing story to say that the iPad Pro also gets the M1. Then again, they've raved about how great the M1 is, so who knows? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. I I guess it will. it's definitely not going to be called M1 no matter what it is, even yeah, if it so, was the same. Oh, A14X. Yeah. What about accessories? Do you want new or amended accessories for the iPad Pro at all? I mean, the challenge is the Magic Keyboard size. Like, are they going to adjust the size of the iPad Pro? Are they going to make a bigger iPad Pro? Are they going to keep the existing sizes? I mean, I feel like... A bigger one would be a new form factor for sure, Jason. Well, I feel like the iPad Air being the same size as the iPad Pro, the smaller iPad Pro, suggests to me that the smaller iPad Pro isn't going to exist anymore in that form. So the question is, do they make it a little bit bigger? Hmm. Do they bump both of the iPad Pros up in size a little bit? Hmm. 
or do they take the 12.9 and then put a bigger iPad Pro on top of it? <laughs> like, I haven't thought of this. I understand what you're saying, but I don't know if I feel the same. Yeah, I mean, they could keep them there. It's just it's just kind of funny. They're exactly well, the same size and, and they use the same accessories. But it's so, the same is as that the a, iPhone. Is that a, yeah, I, I guess what I'm saying is, is that a prelude to them doing something else? But you're right. right. It could just be that now they're going to be two iPads that are the same size that are very similar but have some different characteristics and different prices and they use the same accessories. They could yeah. do that. Or yeah. it could be a little foreshadowing that the existing iPad Pro in that slot's not going to stay there. And that 11-inch iPad Pro is going to become, I don't know what, a 12-inch iPad Pro. And the 12.9 is going to become a 14-inch iPad Pro. I don't I don't know. I really like the 12.9 size. Um, if there was a slightly smaller one, I'd be interested, right? Like if it could still feel like a large screen iPad, but it wasn't quite as big, I'd be interested in that. But then again, I might, you know, I, I don't think I want a larger iPad Pro. I think, but I think some people do. I think artists especially would love having that huge screen. So I, I think one of the things we need to watch is will Apple do a bigger iPad Pro? And that would go with, yeah. I mean, I know we're talking about accessories, but that would require, the sizes dictate what happens in terms of the keyboard folio and the, and the Magic Keyboard, right? Because if they change the dimensions, they're going to have to do new versions of those accessories. If they keep them all the same, then they can continue to kind of use the ones that they've already built. And and maybe, given that that product hasn't even been out a year yet, maybe that's probably the most likely scenario. Again, I don't know, right? Like, they've gotten good at making the current small size of the Magic Keyboard or whatever. Um, yep. And they kept the old ones around for the iPads that inherited those eventually anyway. So I don't think the fact that the iPad Air fits in the smaller iPad's Magic Keyboard should say specifically that the bigger, uh, the smaller iPad isn't going to see any design changes. You know what I'm saying? Like the smart keyboard folio for the small previous smaller iPad Pro, which also fit the other iPads, still stuck around after the iPad Pro changed sizes. Yep. Yeah. You know? I yep. think just because they did create it so it would fit doesn't, I mean, it could actually be one of the reasons they do that. So they can transition the other one away could, so then they can move the stock around. So we, we've talked ourselves in a circle here about it. My, yep. my, guess, my guess, though, is where does the iPad Pro have to go? And one place it has to go is up. Like, yeah, not that yeah, they will yeah. do that, but like I could, can, you, you can totally see the presentation, right? Which is, oh, your movies look so great. And like artists have a fuller canvas in which to, and people who are using it to code can have like split screen works great on it. Like I can see the presentation for the gigantic, 15 inch ipad pro max right like i can see that presentation i don't know if they think there's a product there or not but that would be a place for them to go that would be uh, a thing for them to try if they wanted to yeah i i would like them to get bigger at the top end i don't want them to get much bigger on the lower sized ipad pro and i know the ipad air exists right and right. i know the ipad air and the current ipad pro are very similar but the expectation is that the iPad Pro line will continue to go where that's always gone. And I like having the best iPad in that smaller right. size. I like I, that personally for me. I get it. Um, I get it. I will remind you that the lower 
uh, sized iPad Pro has been 9.7, 10.5, and 11. Yeah. Which yeah, yeah. is a trend that I know. makes me wonder if they might push it to 11.5 or 12 or something like that, I feel a little like bit bigger. 11, right now, I feel size, like 11 right? is, is about as much as I w- would want it to go. Just because, that, that. like, even though the screen got bigger, that iPad has never really gotten that much bigger than yeah. the models that it's replaced. No, and I get I get it. If they ended up keeping the bezels the same size and making the screen bigger, it's now going in a in a place that I don't think I want that product to go for no. me. You know, I hear I hear you. I, I definitely sense from you <laughs> that it's like don't don't make me use the iPad Air. I, I don't don't make me use the iPad Air. I want, I want my iPad, iPad Pro at that size. That's yeah. the, the but I want it at that size. So yeah. they probably you know. I, I think that there's a very good chance that it will just stay where it is and get these new te- pieces of technology. I do wonder. Um, also, I feel like the 12.9 is about as big as an iPad should be. But again, I'm not an artist, and I can definitely see. I feel like we talk about like uh, an iPad, uh, iMac. You know, a t- whether it's a, a Surface Studio like thing or you know some new iOS uh, factor that is formed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think. A big iPad is the way to do it. I think that's the way to do it. Not uh, an iMac shape that's actually an iPad or something like that on an easel. I think the I think probably the most likely thing Apple will do is say, We made a we made a big iPad. You said you wanted a big iPad. We made you a big iPad. This is the artist's iPad. It's huge. You know, just mm. look at that screen. Isn't it amazing? And it costs a fortune and here it is. And we'll see if they actually do that or not. Because I'm not sure how big that market is, but it is a place that iOS could go that it isn't at present. And that's why it's kind of interesting. From a functionality perspective, um, there are other things that you would look for. Oh, actually, before I say that, actually, one thing yep. on accessories, I would like the Magic Keyboard to get greater viewing angles. So yeah, personally. wouldn't that be nice to have yeah. a, a Magic Keyboard uh, version 2? It feels like maybe that's an, another year out. Potentially, But if, yeah. they do a new sh- if they do new sizes... It would be nice to see them have a sort of a different take on that. And yeah. Every what we learned with the first two is that the size actually really dictates what you can do with a Magic Keyboard in terms of an- mm-hmm. viewing angles and things like that, right? Because the smaller one has worse viewing angles than the larger one. Mm-hmm. So what would what would an even larger one be like? Um, but I, I I hear you. Um, even it's if the keyboard size is the same, that accessory is not even nine months old. Believe not it even or nine not. months old. So <laughs> so I, I don't th- I don't think it's going to get redesigned no. in twenty twenty one. But you no, never neither know. Neither do I. Um, but yeah, so I was saying about functionality. Yeah. So I'm thinking like of things that it could get or hardware changes that we could see. Um, we have one, and depending on whether you use the Magic Keyboard or not, one and a half USB ports available yep. to the iPad Pro. Would you want to see more there? Could you imagine they may add two ports if it is similar to the M1? I I do imagine that. Like I don't know whether they would do that or not. Although quite honestly, they could put two ports at the bottom of the iPad. It would, I mean, instead of one, it would be fine. I don't know if people even use the one ports port that's there. Most people for anything but charging. So maybe it doesn't matter. But there are some people who are serious iPad Pro type people who might love the fact that they can, for example, I do this. 
uh, do a podcast on an iPad and also make sure the iPad has enough battery life to continue with the podcast, right? Mm. And you could do that through like a hub or something like that. But Yeah, I don't be... need personally Apple to add another port until they give me more I could do with it, which would be yeah. actually really being able to let me record a podcast the way that I want to. And that's uh, a software problem and not yeah. a... And not a hardware problem. Yeah. I agree. So a second port, I mean, it's an iPad Pro. It would allow them to be like, look how pro the iPad Pro is. It has two of these ports. They could say, oh, and they're Thunderbolt, USB 4. They're the same pro- ports that are in our Macs. Um, isn't that great? And then, again, it's going to come down to the software, how usable they are. But it would allow them to differentiate a little bit, which is why I think there's a chance that they, they'll do it anyway. Touch ID. I mean, it's there, but the the real question is, do they want to do Touch ID and Face ID together on a product? And I, I think the iPad Pro is less likely because you don't, like Face ID is fine. There are very few yeah. people who are unlocking their iPads with a mask on. Yeah, I think the iPhone will be the next product, if any, to get Touch ID on it, or at least the only one that I could imagine uh, in the near future to get Touch ID as well as Face ID. I, don't, I agree, but I don't think the need is is quite as strong. I'm not saying it's not there, but I don't think it's it's quite as strong, especially on the iPad Pro, where I think Apple are expecting and or wanting the u- the users to have um a keyboard attachment. And when you do have a keyboard attached to it, it just is much nicer to have Face ID there because you don't have to reach to the iPad; you just keep your hands on the keyboard and, and unlock, which is really nice. Uh, what about MagSafe? We spoke about this a little bit last time, I think. Yeah, I mean, the short version, I had somebody somebody tweeted about, like, what about MagSafe? And we did talk about it last time. But, like, a magnetic port on the back of an iPad that lets you charge is literally the smart connector. Mm. And so the iPad sort of has that. And, again, you wouldn't choose to charge that way because it's not as fast. But you might if you're plugged in via that port on the Magic Keyboard and it's kind of nice to have that. So mm-hmm. I don't see, I feel like Apple has built their MagSafe for the iPad and it's smart connector. That's what it does. And it's not as not as fast to charge necessarily, but that's sort of their solution for the iPad. And I think it makes the most sense to do it that way. And we'll talk about the cameras as well. Actually, I only mm-hmm. want to talk about one camera, the front-facing camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, Obviously, everyone wants them to get better. All front-facing cameras should get better. It's one of the things we've really learned from 2020. But I would love, I really would love to see Apple embrace the form factor of the iPad Pro and put Ooh. it on the horizontal edge, not what? you know, like, uh, well, to put it centered when you're horizontal. That's where people what? are using the cameras of their iPad Pros. You know, on the what long factor? side, not the short side. It's a Is form, a form factor change. Factor. Yeah, it is oh. a factor of the form that I would love to see change. What a strange factor that would be. Mm-hmm. Did you factor mm-hmm. that out? Is there a fraction in the factor? Form factor, it's fraction. I, uh, I get what you're saying, which is uh, a lot of people use... This is, this is something that we've beaten up a lot here, which is that we view the iPad as primarily a horizontal product, and Apple st- seems to think it's primarily a vertical product, except when it, put, when it goes in their keyboard case, in which case then it's horizontal. And I agree with you. I cannot tell you how... F- Often I have, so like I call my mom on Sundays and I do a FaceTime call and I'm usually on my iPad and I end up in that situation, which is like, well, which way is the camera? And like, I would like the camera to be in the middle because I'm holding it horizontally and that's a better place for it. Um, I don't know if they'll ever do this, but I, I hear you that, that placing it in on that side would be great or, or 
it's the iPad Pro. Maybe two. Maybe two. How about that? A second camera. And the self, I'll, I'll also say selfie camera should be better. It should be better. Always make it better. Mm-hmm. Always. You put this last one in there. I can't even address it. You're just going to have to talk about it yourself. I, it's ridiculous and not going to happen, <laughs> but I want to mention it because our friend, friend of the show, Steve Troughton-Smith, tweeted uh, last night, this is what he said, with macOS on ARM, a read-only system volume, para-virtualized graphics acceleration, and hypervisor framework on iOS, it definitely feels like a non-zero chance that macOS as an app could be offered on future iPads. Whether that makes sense strategically is another thing. Well, it is another thing, and it probably doesn't, and I don't think it's going to happen. But I just thought I'd throw it in the hat, like, yeah, sure. Put it in the Magic Keyboard, run macOS app, and now your iPad is also a Mac. Right. It's not going to happen. So looking at new form factors for the Apple Silicon laptops, so as well as new designs, which has been talking about for quite a while, they would also feature many LEDs. So it seems to be something that's going to come to many products in Apple's lineup. We're looking for second half of 2021, and most likely based on previous reports, this would be the MacBook Pro, uh, the 16-inch getting a revision, as well as the long-awaited 14-inch MacBook Pro Mm. to join it. New designs, factoring in new forms here. Um, That's good. That's good. It's interesting. I kind of expected them to maybe do a whole wave of unchanged models in the laptops, but maybe not. Maybe this is their, their way. They, you know, they start with the lower end models and don't change those. And then back in the background, they've got bubbling their changes to the higher end MacBook Pro model. So it would be the 13 inch four port would become a 14 inch. That makes sense. And then a new 16 inch, Maybe these have like better cameras and other stuff like that too that we've been waiting for that did not happen with this last round. New display would indicate that too. Dare I throw in there that if you're going to do a new display and new cameras that maybe they could actually do face ID on these. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, I would love that. Um, So that's great. It's funny, Quo saying second half of 2021, if that's the case... They're no, like, they have the Intel MacBook Pros just kind of hanging out there, being slower than the M1 ones for a year. That's a little surprising, and I wonder if there's a a sort of a, almost like a slipstream, slipstream update that could come the first half of the year that is the existing models going to the uh, Apple Silicon. But again, what if Apple is staging this and they don't, have the higher end Apple Silicon chip for Macs this year and that that cycle really is going to wait until next fall when there'll be an M2 and these will get the M2. That that makes sense, right? Like Apple does not necessarily have the ability to roll out five different chip variations in six months. So it may be that the M1 is all we get for a little while. And again, that's not too disappointing because we know how fast the M1 is, but it could be that the M1 is the chip for this cycle and then next cycle we'll get an M2 that maybe will be broken into a couple of different versions. So it could happen, but it's going to be a weird, if that's the case, it's going to be a weird year where Apple's laptop configuration stays like it is now, where you've got the lower end systems that are generally faster than the higher end systems, which are just sort of sitting there for people who want to buy an Intel laptop. 
Also, it's a year knowing Apple Silicon is in the market where you're trying to sell people on an Intel laptop. I can't imagine that they're going to sell well. No, I mean, and of course, this re- none of these reports are talking about iMacs, which, you know, so it might not be we get no Apple Silicon Macs in that period of time. The iMac right. may still I, pop up, but yes, you're right. I about fully the expect the iMac, but and that could be even a redesigned iMac, but it could yeah. also just be an iMac with a an M1, especially mm-hmm. if it's replacing the low end iMac, and then they keep the high end iMac for now, the 5K iMac as yeah. Intel, but redesign the the other one. It could use the, s- the same M1 processor. Absolutely could. This episode is brought to you by Hover, one of the longest running sponsors here on the show. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Your business starts with a great domain name for so many entrepreneurs. Hover is that big leap. This has definitely been the case for me when I have an idea for a project, when I have an idea for something that I want to try out one of the first places I go to is Hover. because I want to make sure the domain's available. I think that it's something you need. I think it shows off professionalism for a project to have a great and relevant domain name for it. And Hover has over 300 domain name extensions that you can choose from. So no matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for you. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have. Hover are dedicated to getting you online and not upselling you. .inc.inc is a new premium domain extension for businesses that want to be taken seriously. Have you checked if your brand name is currently available? Don't let somebody else beat you to your brands.inc domain. For small startups to large enterprises, brands are taking notice of the credibility of this .inc domain. Over 56% of Forbes' most valuable brands have registered their brand names. Companies like PayPal, Facebook, Fox, Amazon, Walmart, and many more you might want to check if yours is there and register it today. Hover has great experience from UI, UX. Everything works really well and it's all super easy to use. They have monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's so easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people registering domains and starting their businesses. Millions of company names end with Inc. Now your domain name can too. You can upgrade your domain name to the perfect match and join over 56% of Ford's most valuable brands and register your .inc domain today. Go to hover.com slash upgrade and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. That is hover.com slash upgrade. Make a name for yourself with Hover. A thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's... Finish up today's episode with some hashtag ask upgrade questions. First one comes from Hunter. Hunter wants to know, with Apple making their own chips, do you think we could see a cheaper laptop from them in a few years? Maybe a MacBook SE priced around maybe seven or $600? I'll refer you to the comments in an interview uh, that was uh, Apple execs being interviewed about the M1 Max and somebody asked them this question and they said, you know, the obvious, honestly, if you've been paying attention to Apple, which is cheap isn't their goal. And their goal is to make, they make choices to make them better. I I really, you know, I think that that's an accurate summation of Apple's decisions. Apple's goal is not to be the low price leader. And so they will build laptops with the functionality that they feel makes it a good laptop. And they don't, they don't build, their low end is a lot higher than most companies' low ends. They're not going to scrape the bottom. So I think that's, uh, I think it's possible that they might make a cheaper than 999 laptop, especially I think in this Tim Cook era. And you look at how fast the M1 MacBook Air is. Would it be unsurprising if the M1 MacBook Air that we have today 
kind of like stuck around and maybe went down to $8.99 or even $7.99. I think that's possible. A brand new designed to be low cost $5.99 Mac laptop, I don't think it's going to happen. It would be nice. It would be nice. Sure. I could imagine sure. more what you said about rather than you, like keeping something around. That I think is, is a far more likely Tim Cook's Apple scenario, right? Is that yeah. eventually there's an M2 MacBook Air at nine ninety nine, and the M1 MacBook Air stays in the price list and moves down to seven ninety nine, and it's still again really fast, even if yeah, the M2 that is be faster. Really good, you know. Right. Thinking about that, like the M1 MacBook Air, they could keep that around for a long time and it still be competitive with comparable products in its class. Not necessarily against other MacBooks. Right. But they could keep, yeah, they if, could, you know, that could stick around for a long time and be a better product for people than a lot of what they might otherwise buy. And they could keep pushing that price down. That's how you could get it to yeah. like 599 or 699 in education at least because they knocked yeah. 100 I, off. I, I think that's it. I, I think it won't go down to 599 or 699. I think it's I think it's more likely a you know, yeah, 899 or even 799, but if you think about it in terms of iPhone marketing and the fact that they're so far ahead with the M1 that they have space to give mm-hmm. and still be superior to low-end laptops that they're competing with, that may be their long-term like how do we compete with Chromebooks and stuff with a Mac? answer is we're going to have that Mac low-end MacBook Air that is using the M1 and it's going to stick around and in 2022 it's going to be 799 or 699 even though there will also be a faster MacBook Air higher up in the price list it would not uh be too far off from their typical behavior at least on the iPhone side so it's quite possible because I've always found that to be a shame of them getting rid of the 11-inch MacBook Air is they lost that lower price point because yep, the MacBook Air used to be what was it seven nine nine? The eleven inch. I don't know. I don't. I don't know how low it got. Eight ninety nine, seven ninety nine. I don't know. Nevertheless, like they still had a cheaper option when the eleven inch yep. was around. Um, and I, it's one of the things that's been a shame that they're removing it. Other than the fact that the eleven inch MacBook Air is a wonderful computer, and it was such a fun little thing. I loved that. I loved mine. Um, but yeah, it made them lose a little bit on where they could take the price to. Brian says, my iPhone 12 Pro is on the way. Should I set it up as new or restore from a backup? Restore from a backup. Restoring yeah. from a backup is great. Just do that. Yeah, don't I don't put so. yourself through it. I, uh, iOS backups are great. I'm more inclined to set up Max as new and then transfer the data. Like if I want to do that, like transfer my files via Migration Assistant or something. Um, but for iPhones and iPads, just do the... Just do the restore. I I don't unless it's just a thing you like to do. I can't think of a reason as to why you would choose to set up an iOS device as new. Greg asks, "I'm considering switching my local photos library to iCloud Photos. I've exported the originals to a different folder. Is there anything else I should consider before turning on iCloud Photos?" Maybe we can also offer this to Casey List too. Yeah. Uh, well, Greg's question is interesting because uh, it's on a Mac, right? I assume. Um, yes, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, I don't even know why you need to export the originals when you turn. I expect he's saying that is I have a backup. Is I think is what he's saying there. Yeah, right? I get it. But so if you turn on iCloud Photos and you keep 
download originals to this Mac selected as an option, nothing happens to your photos. They don't mm-hmm. go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Nothing happens. It's it's fine. If you choose optimized Mac storage, it will delete them and keep them in the cloud. Um, so I, I don't think there's anything worth worrying about here is my answer about considering before you turn on iCloud photos other than where your photos are going to be stored. Because if you have enough storage to keep them, to keep a canonical library locally and not just in the cloud, I recommend you do that. My Mac mini with the giant hard drive outboard has this feature turned on the keep keep all photos on my Mac so that I've got a local copy of all my photos if Apple's cloud exploded. But um, other than that, you just turn it on and it just kind of works. Like that's the nice thing about the photos app is it just... Uh, it, it's built to sync with iCloud and it just does it. And if you've got the, if you keep them on, it won't even delete them off your hard drive. It just leaves them there where they already are. All right. Next comes from Benjamin. Are you looking forward to Fitness Plus? Do you think it will come in 14.3? Did see some stories over the weekend that the trainers are seemingly to be more active on their social media accounts, mm. seeming to indicate that something is coming soon i expect this is going to be a part of 14.3 there isn't really a lot of the year left <laughs> for them to launch this yeah we're getting close so i think it, i think it has to be and i am looking forward to it i am an apple one subscriber mm-hmm. so i get as of now i guess if you signed up on day one we are actually apple one subscribers now i think that was a month ago like as of today or yesterday so, like, the Apple One thing has kicked in now, if you signed up. But, yes. I, I'm also... I tell you the thing I'm most excited about for this, Jason, is their whole... Um, I don't remember exactly what they called it, but their, like, beginners thing. I'm really intrigued to see what that looks like. It's kind of like the course of, hey, if you've not been very active with your exercise for a while, give this a go. I'm intrigued to see what that, that whole thing looks like, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I, I am too. And I, I'm you as somebody who my fitness right now is basically running mm-hmm. and um, I'm doing some physical therapy exercises that involve me like uh, lifting a can of beans, which is hilarious because I don't have any I don't have any weights. So I lift uh-huh. a can of beans. It's great. It's enough. I'm that weak that a can of beans will defeat me every time. Uh, I'm looking forward to this because it will give me some other fitness things to do. And uh, yeah, that should be fun. And I'm already paying for it. So Great. Bring it on. We'll report back, both of us. And Richard asks, do you think Apple had made the decision to transition to ARM before their April 2017 Mac Roundtable event? Or basically, do you think that this was part of that whole thing? I got into back and forth with John Gruber about this on Twitter. Which is why I put this in the notes today, because I wanted to talk about it with you. And I don't, I honestly don't know. And he was there, but I've also read a transcript of what they said when he was there. Um, I think, let me put it this way. I think Apple had made the decision to transition to ARM when they called that meeting. Because I think there was a pivot point where Apple decided what they were going to do with the Mac that was going to be to involve the Mac, evolve the Mac interface more, get iOS stuff to run on the Mac, move to ARM, all of those things, like really lean into uh, the the chip transition, build a new Mac Pro. I think all of those things I expected to happen. Uh, that's why they called the meeting. 
I feel like that that was probably the moment where they decided to go in this new direction with the Mac. Um, I don't think the sort of drifting that the Mac was doing before that, I don't believe it was because they had already decided to go to Apple Silicon and were just waiting and being frustrated by Intel. I think, you know, and this is, I have no information. Share some information if you Apple insiders, if you know the truth. But my guess is that there was a real debate inside about whether it was worth putting the effort in to build chips for the Mac and migrate the Mac and do everything that a chip transition would require versus the easy out, which is just keep using Intel. We'll never be slower than Intel PCs. We'll be able, it'll be familiar. Mac users will continue to use it and it will just kind of go on being the Mac for as long as people want to buy Macs. And I I think that that was their attitude for a while, that Intel was just going to be good enough and that they didn't want to spend the energy on a trip chip transition and then at some point and i i would love to know what that point was they said you know what that's not good enough we could do a better job here let's commit to the chip transition and i think all of these other things were kind of related to that commitment so if i had to guess i would say yes richard i do think they made the decision to transition to arm before the april 27 mac roundtable event how much before is the question Six months, a year, a week, I don't know. But I think by that point, they knew because that was why they made the recommitment to the Mac. That's what I think. Yeah, I don't believe that the same company that had the direction for where the Mac was at that point in 2016, 2017, is the same company who would have said, we're going to revolutionize this product line. I don't think that was the same company. Like the, who was producing the touch bar, the butterfly keyboard and the trash can Mac pro and leaving stuff like, and deciding that was the same company who decided they weren't going to have a Mac pro anymore. I don't think that's the same company that was like, we're going to, we're going to re-architect all of this and make our own silicon. I just don't think it was the same company i i not saying that there weren't people inside of apple that wanted to do it or were tr- tooling around of it but i think at the top their decision was what you were saying of like we're just going to keep this thing going it's not a legacy platform but we're just going to keep it going until it doesn't stick around anymore you know and then they clearly made somebody was able to convince someone that this wasn't the right route to take and then they changed course but i would expect it was basically in between the iMac Pro being created and them them deciding that they were going to make the Mac Pro. They made a bunch of decisions that set them on the course that they were going down. They were clearly toying around with this stuff before, but I think that was the part where they decided to put all these plans in place. Because it just doesn't seem like it would have been the same company, right? Yeah, I have no doubt that they have been looking at Macs on Apple processors for a while as a you know due diligence kind of thing, and probably having their chip people say, "Hey, we can we can do better than Intel. We can do better. We can do better. We can mm-hmm. do better." And finally, there came a moment where there was enough of a proof of concept, or there were enough frustrations with Intel that they said, "All right, let's do this." But I do think there was a switch that got flipped, and and again, maybe. It's a complex company, a series of things that happened that led to that point where they said, um, 
this is what the future of the Mac is going to be. And it's going to require us to do all of this work in order to get there. But it's worth doing that work rather than letting the Mac just sort of kind of drift along with whatever Intel is doing this year. If you'd like to send in a question for us to answer on the show, you can just tweet with the hashtag AskUpgrade or just use the command question mark ask upgrade in the Relay FM members Discord, which you get access to if you subscribe to Upgrade Plus. Go to getupgradeplus.com where you can sign up for just five dollars a month, or you can go to our website and get and you can sign up for an annual plan there as well. This will get you access to weekly episodes of Upgrade with additional content and no ads as well. So you get more upgrade and no ads for just $5 a month, and you also help support us and the work that we do here, which is greatly appreciated. You can go to getupgradeplus.com. Thank you so much if you've done that, and also to our sponsors of this week's episode, Hover, Pingdom, and Samebox. You can find Jason online at sixcolors.com, and he is at jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, uh, Jason also podcasts at The Incomparable. And I'm trying to think of other things to say. Uh, and also, oh, 20 Max of 2020. There. Listen to go, that. Go it's a nice podcast out. on Relay FM. You should check it out. And then mm-hmm. I write essays about it. So, yeah, do that. And I've been Twitch streaming a lot recently at Mike.live, mm-hmm. if you want to check that out. Soothing assembly of keyboards. Thank you. Yes, that is that is it in a nutshell, really. Mm-hmm. If you want to check that out, you should I've been trying to do one of those every week, so at least so you can go check that out as well. We'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snow. Goodbye, Mike Hurley. Goodbye.